Abba Yahweh the opportunity to share, to lift up, to exhort, and if need be, admonish, as your word tells us so we are to do, one for another. And we do so in righteousness, in your way, in your truth, in your knowledge, in your wisdom. Abba Yahweh Amma, Yeshua Amma, Baraklitos Amman. So, uh, just a couple things. I'm going to share something that's becoming annoying. I have to pray about it because, quite honestly, I'm... I'm troubled because um, there's two things that are going on. I know that the devil really wants me to be agitated, so it keeps kind of stirring this up. But on the, on the other hand, too, I remember seeing these things happening in the Scripture, and one of the reasons that the Pharisees went after Jesus the way they did was because Jesus did everything without charging anyone. Jesus did everything that he did free. Jesus shared everything he had free. And the Pharisees were upset because when they went to do things, they charged people. And just like um, just like when Jesus went to uh, went to Martha and Mary, and they were at the, and he went to um, Lazarus, was his very dear friend, but he didn't show up until Lazarus had been dead for four days already. And uh, he was buried in the tomb, and it had, had been four days had passed before Jesus went and arrived. And as Jesus noticed, and this is when he was weeping on the way to the temple, and the Jews that were there were uh, making commotion about him crying because he loved Lazarus so much. And if you remember in the scripture and reading that, it says that Jesus was weeping, but then when they spoke and he saw them, he groaned to himself. He was, he's like, how to describe that? It's as if... Uh, Oh, my father, protect me here. And, and, you know, just going on. But the comment, you know, it. he didn't say it out loud to them. He wasn't, um, he wasn't uh, communicating his displeasure, but he felt the displeasure because he did care for, for them so much. And the displeasure that he felt was because they were getting paid to come and weep at his burial and his death and play music and do all this stuff and make loud wailing noises. And some didn't even know him. There were those that were there and, and they were, uh, they were there because they cared. And there were others there because that's what they did in those days. I mean, that was a cultural thing. And <laughs> it said that Jesus groaned It troubled him, but then he went, and of course, to the glory of God, he called Lazarus out from where he was, and that was in the grave. Are we not many of us in the grave? Um, there's a 
um, a young contemporary Christian group, and I, I'm going to do this often because a lot of what they sing and how they sing comes straight from the scripture. And this is a song called Glorious Day. And I love this song because um, and I'm going to share this here. I'm pulling up the lyrics. I want to make sure I share this correctly. So this was um, uh, and I don't mind sharing the names. And again, I'm going to remind you that I get I don't get paid for sponsoring this. And I do so because I, I love the music and I, I love the message that they're sharing. But this young man, his name is Travis Cottrell. Um, there were four of them that that were together. They wrote the lyrics, and um, he sang the song. It's beautiful. Um, so listen to the listen. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Listen to the lyrics and see if it does not apply to what we do here and now, and if it also didn't apply to Ezekiel. I'll get back to that in a minute. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. You called my name and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new, Jesus, when I met you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus also taught us, and this, this is, and it's very, very important, and I hope you listened to what the lyrics were, not just heard my voice, but you listened to what I was saying, because it comes straight from the scripture. And if you paid attention, do we not, are we not the ones who wind up getting ourselves in that sort of a position? Indeed, we are. And a lot of it comes from the lies and deception that, that individuals choose to impart rather than truth living truth, sharing truth, being in the truth, experiencing truth. They choose to lie, cheat, deceive, and this was an old saying a long time ago, and there's many that have never heard it before or might not recognize it, and there's some my age and older that will recognize it, and this has to do with deception and lying. And if you notice, <laughs> maybe you have or you haven't, I don't know, but you have those who have been blinded by this, <laughs> by the deception. But 
remember older folks used to tell, you know, if you, if you told a fib, you told a lie, you didn't want to hurt somebody, so you told a lie and kind of get yourself out of a jam and you lie. Moms and dads always seem to know, well, back in the day, moms and dads always seemed to know if you were telling the truth or not. And then you continue and you continue because here's the thing about telling a lie is that once you lie, you have to remember that you lied. And then you're going to tell another lie to cover that lie and another lie to cover that lie and that lie and another lie. And then pretty soon what happens is you get into this situation where you are more comfortable with lying and deceiving instead of telling the truth. But what really, really is important to take note of is that you lose track and you forget who you lied to. You forget how many lies you told and then somebody's going to catch you and they're going to say something. You know, you're just digging yourself deeper. And then they just leave it. They don't, they don't, it's, it's one of those uh, statements, dot, 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 continuing and they don't finish. Well, the ponderance is this, that you should take is that they know that you're telling a lie. And this is usually what happens with an older person or someone that is aware of your deception. And they leave it that way. They're telling you without getting in your face and getting confrontation. I know you're lying. You're not lying. Just tell the truth. They're not going to get into all that. And what they do, they just, they give you this straight ahead, eye to eye look. You know, you're just digging yourself deeper. Dot, dot, dot. And that's it. They don't confront. They don't antagonize. They don't chase. They're just letting you know that they know that you're lying. And I share that because if you look around and many of, the, many of those things are happening now in many nations, but I remember and it, it breaks my heart that, um, and I remember researching and reading this story so many years ago that the socialist government in Russia, they promised all these things and it was a lie, but they promised all these things to the people because see, socialism is supposed to take care of everyone. It was do everything for everyone together so everyone is equal and nobody is above, except for if you notice that the countries that started out that way um, have turned, of course, we know the direction they turned to and it's actually a country or a nation of thugs and the ones that are in charge are only the wealthy and the haves and the have-nots are stuck in poverty and they don't do all that and I remember in in the Soviet government when it used to be the United Soviet Socialist Republic um, they had promised all these things and they had people that were waiting in bread lines because they were going to give everyone bread and food and take care of everyone. Well, the problem is that they were coming and responding and they had um, they had these help, health organizations and groups that were dispatched and they went to try to help and guide. And when they arrived, they found people that were actually 
lying dead in the street and the sidewalks and the bread lines and people that were leaving that had gotten their free bread and upon examination all the bread was moldy and spoiled all of it and the individuals that they found that had died waiting they were uh, and when they had performed their surgical autopsies they found that the people had begun to eat parts of their clothing and their shoes. They found many with chewed leather. They were trying to do whatever they could because many had been in that promised place for days and days and days and starving while they waited. Why do I share that? Because they were looking to man and mammon for an answer instead of looking to God for an answer and guidance. Because here's the thing, if you are a true believer, and remember that's an important aspect. If you believe and you have faith truthfully, God will provide. Might not get everything you want. You're not gonna have filet mignon every single night, but you're gonna have sustenance. It's just like the nation of Israel when they were out in the wilderness, God provided for them. He provided bread, manna from heaven. But they complained about that because they got to where they, they hated the light bread, they called it. Well, the problem that, with that is that angels ate that. That was food that angels ate. That was food that was shared at the dinner table in heaven. But they complained about it because it didn't suit their fancy. Um, and we get into that situation, we dig our own holes, we dig our own graves, we have such, <laughs> such extravagant needs that we call them, but we have confused the needs from wants. The important thing that we need to remember and hold on to is that God provides what we need. God provides what I really need. And sometimes I slip, I slip off. I mean, it's not... It's not difficult. I mean, it, it's actually fairly easy. And the, the devil loves it when we get wrapped up in that. In confusing our needs and our wants. But what that does is when you hold on to that and you continue going down that path instead of praying about the guidance to the right path, you get agitated about so many things. And I'm, I'm sitting here right now. I, I just took a pause. I'm, I'm looking around. And I have my study materials. I have these things that, that were not here before. I mean, I would, there was a time where I would sit here and I'd look and there was really nothing here. Really nothing here. Except for this desk that was given to me the chair that was given to me by a previous neighbor. 
and primarily it's all that was here except that God in his abundant grace, mercy, and love for me brought me more and more things. Brothers and sisters, I mean, goodness gracious, when I look around and see the abundant grace and mercy and love that God poured out on me, brothers and sisters, he wants to do the same to all of us. We are his children. He loves us mightily. But here's the here's the thing that we tend to forget. We have to we have to remember and Jesus Jesus taught us this very thing. Jesus teaches this very thing. When we go to Pardon me. I just, I erred and I went to the wrong marker. <laughs> Sorry. If we go to a very prominent scripture in the Bible, what they all are, they're all the truth of God, but some of them stand out at a point in time um, a little more poignantly, we might say. But Jesus teaches this very thing that we need and we must anticipate that we're going to come face to face with seemingly impossible odds and tasks. But here's the, here's the deal. And I've shared this with you before. When Jesus says that we have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. Now, if any of you have ever seen mustard and the seeds that come from this, they're, they're really extremely, extremely small. If you take a thumb and forefinger from each hand and you press them together, and then you take those and you touch tip to tip, and that little open space that's in between, and you see that little opening in there, that's too big. Mustard seed is even smaller than that. And Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, and if you say to this mountain, be there gone to the sea, it will go. But here's the important thing. Not that God couldn't do it, but you have to understand that the analogies in the Bible are not speaking to a physical mountain, but a mountain that we have built up from ourselves. We look at these adversities that we come in contact with and it becomes a mountain that we can't get by. We can't get around it. We can't go over it. It's, it's too much. And the giants that we encounter on the path heading to that mountain that are preventing us from getting up to and around or over the mountain, that they're guarding that path. They become too much. We cannot take those giants. We can't take them down. We can't even get to the mountain to get over it or get around it. God, what do I do? Take my hand. Follow me. 
Have faith. That mountain is gone. Have faith. Those giants are gone. I share that with you because this is important. What did the, what did the spies come back and report when they came back? What were the first words out of their mouths? When they came back and reported what they'd gone. And there were 12 that went. Ten gave a good, or two gave a good report, Joshua and Caleb, and ten gave a negative report and convinced the nation that they should not go forward. So they all rose up against Moses, who was going to lead them in. They rose up against him and they wailed and cried out to God, it can't be done. They decided to usurp the sovereignty, the strength, the might of the Lord God Almighty, the maker of all things made. And they said, we're not going to go, Moses. We're not going in there. God can't do it. And the first words out of those who started all this, it can't be done. We went in. We saw the giants. We were as grasshoppers. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. They will destroy us. They will step on us. They will destroy us. Uh, hold on here a minute. Is God not our sovereign our Lord, our God, our strength, our buckler. And I mean, they've already been told all that. They, he brought them out of Egypt. And what was your whining and crying about all the way along? Oh, you brought us out here just to let us die in the wilderness. But somehow there was always water provided. There was food that was provided, but they couldn't collect it and hold on to it and, and stick it in boxes and buckets and bags the way that they wanted to because God told them not to. Why did God do that? Because God wanted them to know that he was going to provide for them in their hour of need. That it wasn't their doing, it was his doing. But they didn't want any part of that. They didn't want to be a part of that. They wanted to do it and control it. And that didn't work out so well. And in this old saying, how'd that work out for them? Just like I share and I tell people now when they do all this wailing and crying and throwing their hands up and how great and everything is and all these things that are going on, I just look right at them and I say, how's that working out for you? Not controversial about it, I'm just statement of fact and then they kind of look and they tilt their head sideways like my dog does when they really try to understand what you're saying and they're really listening to what you're saying and, and you notice that when you talk to your dog they'll sort of tilt their head and when they do that that's because they're they're really intently listening to what you're saying and they're attempting to understand that's what that little body language means and people will do the same thing when you pose something that way to them How's that working out for you? You know, this declaration of lies and deceits and everything that they choose to believe and they follow, but then they're, they're really 
finding out that it's not truth and it is lies and deception. And they're finding that out as they go along. And then you just sort of put the emphasis there. Then they, they realize. But brothers and sisters, I share with you that we have the problem because we try to anticipate these things that we are going to come face to face with in this daily walk. And situations that are or seem to be totally beyond what we're able to handle or take care of. But being aware of that, we look at that as a weakness. Oh, I got to have help. I got to have a counselor. I got to have... But wait a second. Are you going to that place where your help comes from? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you even following? So, and I'm talking about true believers, true Christians know where their help comes from. And they will go to that source of the help. And sometimes you have those that are trying to be a good a good Christian and, and trying to follow, but they have problems in doing so. But I'm telling you, just go to that place where it comes from. And that's God. Paul reminds us, Jesus told us, and Peter reminds us that we need to go to faith. And what Peter reminds us that, that all these things, it, it, it increases our faith, it increases our um, patience, our, our forbearing, um, and it gives us temperance. So what does that mean? I've shared this before. as temperance, tempering of steel. Um, the Japanese are, are very, uh, they're samurai, are very, very good examples. And they take us, and what they do is they create this blade and they take the steel and they fold it over again and again. And you're going to have eight or ten layers of this that are folded over and pounded out and put together and then they're made straight and they're sharp. The finest steel blade and the finest. And they they put their, their symbol, their family crest inside on, on the hill. And you have to take it apart in order to see this. And some of these blades were made and they're five, six hundred years old. And they're still, still as good as they were then. But how did that happen to the steel? Because it was tempered. The steel was tempered. It was made strong. And these metalsmiths, these sword makers, knew how to do it. And as I have, I've shared with you before this, I got this to honor my father, but then the Holy Spirit reminded me, and I have this, it's a, um, it's a wristlet that I wear, and there's a red stripe in it, and then the little band beside us is forged in fire. And my father was a firefighter, worked his way up, and he was a firefighter for over 32 years went from being the very lowest man on the totem pole all the way up to battalion chief, and they wanted him to be the chief of the city. 
but his desire was to be amongst them. He didn't want to be separated from the men that he taught and be away from what he loved to do. And if he went to be the chief of the city, that it would be all about politics. And in many cases about lies and deception, and he didn't like that. Because he knows that's how politics get to be. He didn't want any part of that. Because where he wanted to be was in the truth. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of this thing. He says, is that not where you are and in your walk with me? And in your walk home? You're forged in fire. You are that tempered steel. You are that beautiful piece of jewelry. You are that beautiful, beautiful porcelain pottery. And brothers and sisters, I share this with you because it's very important to take note that in everything that is so beauteous, this the, the fine jewelry, when you go into a jewelry store and you look at all that jewelry and everything in there, where do you think all those rings and bracelets and watch clasp and all those things came from? They were forged in fire. And some of the finest silver requires seven firings. I didn't know that. I, I learned that actually not too awful long ago. It requires seven firings, seven times that it's put into the fire. And seven times the, the molten silver is separated from the dregs and then poured in it. And that's the finest silver and the, it's very expensive. And then you have gold. It requires burning, fire, to be made molten and separated from the dregs. Porcelain, glass, the finest pottery that's made. And you have you have the individual, I can't, um, oh, I can't remember his name, it's a Frenchman, and it's uh, been around for a long, long time, but his figurines, finest porcelain clay. And if you have originals and you can turn them over and you see his signature on there, these things are worth, and, and we're talking about, I've got to take in comparison measurement here right quick. So I've got this medication bottle. It's, a, it's about four inches, three and a half inches tall. And his figurines that are the same size are worth thousands and thousands of dollars to collectors. But they were made from what's called greenware. Greenware is the soft clay that's just first being formed and can actually be quite easily broken and it doesn't take much to do it. So greenware has to be protected. And then they take it and they put it into the kiln. And I used to do some pottery stuff, so. But you take it and you put it in the kiln, you put it in the fire and you fire it. And sometimes it takes two or three firings. So you put it in, you let it cool, and then you put it in and you fire it again for a shorter period of time. And then you take it out and you can apply whatever you're gonna put on. You put the glazing and all these things on. And then a brief firing to set it. 
but then you do within the first firing, then you apply the paints and all these things on. Then when you put it into the next firing, you have to be cautious so you don't overdo it or you'll crack all the paint and then it'll spiderweb. And there's effects that are done and sometimes there are collectible pieces where you do that intentionally. And it's all in what? The firing, how it's fired. And then you have this item that many people pay astronomical amounts for to collect blown glass. Where's that come from? Have you ever seen somebody blow glass? It comes out of the fire when it's still molten. They have a tube that they blow air into to shape it. And then with their skill set that they have, they know how to turn it and shape it while it's still hot and molten and before it cools because once it starts to cool, then it just breaks. So temperance, as Peter reminds us, comes from firing. It comes from those tempestuous things. But but I share, and as I shared the other day, the Maltstrom, which is that really turbulent whirlpool, just a, I mean, it's a scary, if you can imagine, imagine if you will be on this full size, say you're on a cruise ship and you're going out and you're in this, when you look around from the port side, starboard and bow and aft, everywhere you walk around on the ship and you just, you look and there's nothing around. And then all of a sudden, this maelstrom opens up, though. The weather starts getting a little tossy-turny, and you're out in the middle of this ocean, and then this maelstrom shows up. What is that? that remember I showed you? That's a, that big, giant whirlpool that's capable of swallowing the entire ship. But it's not just a, a swirling water that's gentle. This is, this is rough water, and it's big waves, and, thing, and this thing is just, it's frightening. But brothers and sisters, as we walk through this plane of existence, we have these things that are going to come up on us. But don't focus on them. Don't focus on the giants. Don't focus on those mountains that we many times have pushed up in front of ourselves. We see things as being giant and we can't do it. And we see these molehills that we have, now pushed into mountainous blockades and we can't get over, we can't get around, we can't figure it out. And remember when Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat when they went out on the Sea of Galilee? They'd already been, the disciples had already been walking with Jesus and they saw him do some things. And I mean, they were still students, they were still learning and, you know, but they saw him do these things. They had questionings and he went, he was tired. I mean, he'd been working with around a lot of people and doing a lot of things. And he got tired. Remember, Jesus came not only as the only begotten son of the Lord God Almighty who made all things and Jesus was with him in the beginning, but he manifests himself as made flesh. And he came to this plane of existence with the purpose of empathy not just knowing about us, but he came to be empathetic. 
and he walked in this plane of existence, he got tired. He was he was tempted as a man. He got hungry. He got thirsty. And he got tired. And he went to the back of the ship and he found these bags of feed or some of the nets and things that were back. And so he laid down and got comfortable and he took a nap. Then the disciples got all agitated, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Here comes the storms, the winds, and the waves. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do now? And he's sleeping in the back. Excuse me. We're talking about the only begotten son of God. The Lord is on the stern of the ship. And that in spite of or despite the storm that had risen up, you think God is just going to let the boat go down and these are napping and everything's going to fall apart all around you. So they completely forgot about that. And what did they do? They went back and they woke him up. Oh, Lord, Lord, wake up. How can you sleep at a time like this? The storm is upon us and look at where, oh. And what did Jesus do? He rebuked them first thing, gently rebuked them. But he said, oh, ye of little faith. And then he just simply turned his back on him, looked out over the ocean and said, peace, be still. The waves settled down, the wind ceased, and the clouds started to part. And then they looked at each other, and what was the exclamation they, they made? They didn't say, oh, look what, look how we acted in this, and, and he was with us all the time. No, they didn't say that. What was the exclamation that they made? What manner of man is this, that even the winds obey? Well, hello the only begotten son of God, and you'd already seen him perform miracles? Just hang on, pull your seatbelt tight because there's going to be more. Come and see. But this is what we do. We do this thing. We get so caught up in all the agitation. So <clears throat> you have to understand and remember that these seemingly impossible tasks are totally beyond our capability of being able to handle. Even when you think that you're so controlling and you're so in charge of things and you're so, in your mind's eye, you're, you're the one. Well, guess what? No, you're not. You are incapable. You're unable, unable. <clears throat> and the place that you should be going to is the very place you run away from. And just like David tells us in the book of Psalms, run to your strong tower. <clears throat> and David, pardon me. And David reminds us that he is our buckler. Remember, I've shared that with you. That's a shield. That's a tends to be smaller and rounder, and you can put your arm through one strap and hold on to the handle with the other. And this thing can be turned from side to side and front and high and low. <clears throat> it can be turned and moved all around. <clears throat> Pardon me. And there were um, many armors, armies that utilize those things. And usually the ones that were the toughest soldiers, or I guess what you would... Um, now we have what they call the special forces units or the, or the SEAL teams that would go in first. And, um, and the Marines. They were the ones that went in first. 
they were the ones that tended to carry the bucklers because they had to move fast, they had to move quickly, and they had to utilize. God goes in first. He goes before us in all things. And we have to remember, too, that our inability to conquer all those things or take care of them, we cannot look at that as, as an inadequacy that we have to run away from. We have to be able to face that and say, Father, I cannot do it without you. I mean, I have this this thing that the devil keeps bringing at me and throwing it in front of my face. And, and, um, and he wants us to get agitated about it. He wants us to get stirred up about it. But the thing that I always remember too is that God just said, and you don't have to make a lengthy prayer out of it to him. Not to begin with. We come back and we talk to him later. But we throw out, and remember I've shared this term with you before, bullet prayers. Nehemiah did it. And then you talk to him at a later time. God doesn't mind you doing that. You talk to him, you say, Abba Yahweh, Abba Yahweh, Abba Yahweh. Or you get in the midst of this or you say, Jesus, 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 your strength. And that's it. And then you keep going. You don't even have to say it out loud. You can just think it over and over again and do that because the devil doesn't want you to do that. The devil wants you to be all stirred up and agitated about what's going on and get caught up in that. And then you don't focus on that thing that we are told to focus on and reach out for. And his goal and his sole purpose is to keep us from doing that. But that is exactly where God wants us to be. Not to try to evade it, not to try to sidestep it, not to, but to hold his hand and walk right in and go, and he's gonna walk in front He's going to hold your hand, but he's going to walk out there in front because he's going to shield you. He's going to protect you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you that in his righteous strength, in his righteous grip. He's going to shield you. He's going to walk with you. And just like Joshua told the nation of Israel when they were crossing the river, he said, look back. Don't look back and regret. Don't look back and agitate. You should look back and remember how often and where you were, and God was with you then as he is with you now, and he is and will be with you out there, afar off. And we're not talking again, I remind you, we're not talking about distance. So we see this in the book of Acts, and Peter reminds us in Second Peter, and we find this, and Paul tells us about this. When, <clears throat> when I say things like that, afar off, and Jesus and the Lord saw us from afar. It's to remind you that he saw us when he came and died on the cross. Oh, interesting. He saw us from afar off. And he rebuked the devil. And he said, no. He is mine. I have made him from the foundations of the world, and he is mine, Satan, I rebuke you. And he did that for each and every one of us, so we turn and we decide to repent and reach out and call out to the name of Jesus, that he is the only begotten Son of God. God sees us from afar, and he saw us from afar. Why do you think he came for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish. 
And when he says that, that's the complete, total package. Love. Unconditional. There's nothing that you can do to buy that. There's nothing you can do to repay that. He came and unconditionally died on the cross for each and every single one of us. We are his children. And he just wants you to believe that, have faith in him, and remember. Because we're like the prodigal son. And that whole parable that Jesus taught, the prodigal son, that's us. He wants us to come home. Quite honestly, I'm pretty homesick. And I'm talking about my heavenly home. I'm not talking about this plane of existence we're in. There's some nice things here. There's some beautiful things here. There's some really, really wonderful people and people that I love and some that is, um, I'm going through a hard time and hard things over this. But you know what? God's with me. They might not be and they turn their back, but that's okay because that's their people. God is God. But don't try to sidestep everything because God has got us where it's best to be able to understand, see, and be with him. We just have to remember that his strength, his glory, his might, his love, and he is a good, good father, and he is always with us. So when we see these seemingly unsurmountable mountains that are coming up, and we see these armies of giants that are coming toward us, all with their shields and swords and their spears, and they're just coming and growling, and it seems like we can't get by or past crowd to God and unlike those spies that went into the promised land we don't see ourselves as grapple stoppers we see ourselves as children of the almighty Lord God we are his children we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ who came and died for our sake we are called to be and told that we are that heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven, we are told that when you choose to accept God as our heavenly father, have faith in him and believe that Jesus came for our sake and died for us, shed his blood for us to cleanse us and we step back and allow him to fight the hearts. I mean, there's going to be conflicts and things that we go into, but the Holy Spirit will guide us through that. But why do you think that God provided heavenly armor for us? And we tend to toss it aside. The shield of faith, we forget about it. The sword of truth, oh, we forget about it. Don't even get in, don't even read it, don't even pay attention to it. And then like many do, they throw themselves in their big comfy chair and pull the, le the lever back to, so their feet go up in the air or push the electric button if they have one of those kind of chairs. And their feet go up and they just throw themselves back. They don't go to church. They don't go to Bible study. They don't testify. They don't disciple anyone else. They just sit back and say, hey, 
I read the end of the book and, and we win. <clears throat> so, you know, we're victorious. No, God is victorious. The Lord is victorious. And you're just riding the shirt tail. And the scripture remind us that we can be conquerors. We can just be those victorious. But we have to remember things. I, I shared with you already that Jesus reminds us that, that everything is not going to be this perfectly. And if you go back and you follow the rule of faith, regula fidei, and go all the way back to the rule of faith, and go back to the book of Job, <clears throat> and remember all that stuff that Job went into, and uh, where is Job 5, 7? Um, I'm not going to take out the Hebrew Bible because I didn't mark it ahead of time. I should do that. Sorry about that. But if we go to Job 5 and 7, he reminds us that through all that adversity to him, and what he reminds us, he says, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upwards. And interesting, I, I, I need to go back. Um... And I'm going to go back to verse 6, actually. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring up out of the ground. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would see God, and unto God would I commit any cause. And what Job was sharing there when he wrote that down and said, these things don't, they don't just happen. They don't just come up. And, and a lot of times what we do in our mindset and in our, uh, in our little movie projector that we have up in our head is that, man, how that, it just happened. Well, it doesn't just happen. But you have to go to the place of strength. You have to go to the place of deliverance, not unto your own understanding. And as, as it's shared with us in Proverbs, Three, five, and six. Lean not unto your own understanding. We're reminded, but yet we tend to do all that. <clears throat> and God reminds us that we should allow him to fight for us and work on our behalf. And what we do is we rest with him. We, we are close to him. And we rest under the shadow and strength of his wings. David writes about that. Reminded that that's where we need to be. We are born into trouble and we seem to find it. Wherever we tend to go, we're going to find something. We're going to stir up something whether you intentionally do it or not, but we have to remember that this plane of existence that we are in is a very broken place. God didn't intend it to be that way. However, choices and things that are made by ourselves, we make them that way, make it that way. <clears throat> Pardon me. And in the book of Revelation, John writes and reminds us in Revelation 19.1, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, 
Hallelujah. Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. The word hallelujah, that's actually a com combination word. <clears throat> and the tail end of it, J-A-H. If you look, there's several words that are, that you find it in, in that pronunciation. Jehovah. Yahweh. When you look at the spelling, Hebrew spelling of that, it starts out J. Remember that the pharisaical tyrants decided that you couldn't say the whole name of God because it was too holy and that you'd be killed if you said his name. But yet it was the permissive name that he gave. <coughs> he told Moses, pardon me, that we could call him. First he told him, he said, you just tell him I am sent you. That'd be good for them for now. But then he told them later on, they can call me Yahweh, maker of all things made. You can even call me Abba. But the parasitical, parasitical tyrants decided that, that you couldn't do that. But the word hallelujah, holy, is God. Holy is God. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude. Have you ever heard the sound of, of a huge, I mean, you've, you've seen sporting events and then when they start doing the little foot stomping on the, on the stadium and the, and the cheering for the team, it, it's really loud. And you've seen some of the playoff games when they're down there trying to perform and do their, their, the game and they can't even do it because the roaring is so loud. The, the, the center can't even hear what the quarterback, and they have to do a hand signal or they do something that is inaudible, but it's visual because the roaring of the crowd is so powerful. If you can imagine this, John writes to this. I heard what sounded like the roaring of a great multitude crying out, holy is God. Salvation, power, glory belong to God. David writes in Psalm 91. I'll flip back over that, but that's what I was eluding to earlier. Is that David wrote about resting in the shadow of he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Wow. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror of by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, 
for the destruction of that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand and it shall not come nigh thee. You will see all these things fall about, but God will be with us and you will have that shelter, that righteousness. But we have a tendency to run away from this thing. But we have to remember too that Jesus shared and told us these things. If we go to uh, Matthew 5 actually is the Sermon on the Mount and share this and Jesus shares with us then. Beside the Beatitudes and the blessings that he gave us, he reminded he remind us He reminds us that things are going to come, and it's not only it's not going to be, and it's not always smooth sailing. And it's going to be difficult times that are going to happen, and we have to remember that we have to be strong. And we have to be upright. And we have to, and as he reminds us in verse uh, 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, or nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than that comes of evil. What does he say there? He's telling us to be truthful, to be honest. And if we're going to say yes, then it is yes. And if we say no, then it is no, period. Because when we try to expound on these things, then we're just going to be deceptive and lying. We have to just remember that everything is going to happen. And that there will be adversities. Things are going to happen. And we have to also remember that everything that does take place, God is with us and God is aware. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in every day? I pray for your strength, your boldness, your courage, and your uprightness. Be blessed.